Hey everybody, Rosie here. Just a quick message before we get to the show. Kevin and Eric from Ameribraid have opened up an exclusive discount code for Builder Sessions listeners. Use code BUILDER, that's B-U-I-L-D-E-R, at checkout at Ameribraid.com and receive $125 off any machine. Yes, you heard that correctly. Use code BUILDER at checkout at Ameribraid.com and get $125 off any machine. Huge thank you to Ameribraid for this very generous discount code for Builder Sessions listeners. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. This is Eric with Ameribraid, and you are listening to Builder Sessions. Welcome to the Builder Sessions, a podcast where we chat with your favorite builders. We get to know them, their stories, and hopefully inspire you to get off the couch and build something cool. I'm Hoff. And I'm Rosie. And on this episode, we chat with Eric and Kevin from Ameribraid. They tell us the story of the creation of Ameribraid, how business partners can balance each other out, as well as the importance of listening to the advice of others when making decisions. All this and a ton more on this episode with Eric and Kevin from Ameribraid. Kevin and Eric from Ameribraid, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's this is cool. I'm excited to to hear you guys' story and to um, to see just you know what's the what started the company and and really pumped to just kind of hear um, what you guys are into right now. And but before we get into all that, for our listeners who don't know who each of you are and what Ameribraid is, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, you go ahead first, Kev. Yeah, my name's uh, Kevin Rourke, and uh, me and Eric both own Ameribraid 50-50, and um, it was kind of started on accident, but our our goal at the time of starting it was to make a tool that we couldn't afford, and then we've kind of carried those morals and principles along in trying to offer that to other people, Um, so... (laughs) Yeah. So I, I'm Eric Abbey. Uh, like Kevin said, uh, we kind of, when we, we met at our day jobs back when we were working at the aerospace company oh, cool. and uh, we didn't know each other before that. Uh, and uh, I was newly married. Kevin was engaged, getting married soon. And everybody knows that stage in life, you don't have a lot of money, but we both had a background in fabrication, building stuff, but kind of scrounging for tools on, craigslist and everything so going out and buying expensive machines just wasn't really in the cards but um yeah that we kind of hit it off with a shared i don't know sense of humor probably mainly but we also both like building things so uh, we communicate pretty well about design and those sort of things and we uh kind of that's the quick way it started. We can go into more <laughs> details. We're excited. We usually give that like short version of it, but yeah. like, there's so much more that really uh, is let's get, weird. Let's get into that stuff it. then. Yeah, let's go. We got time. <laughs> That's why I was kind of like stumbling over my words a little bit because there is so much there that we talk about. And usually when you talk to someone, you know, we got three to five minutes or something. Yeah. So we always give that abbreviated one. All good. But uh, so let's uh, go a tiny bit deep. Um, Eric and I worked for a company called 
General Atomics. Um, they are, a, I guess, like a defense contract or something. Um, their main product to the government was, to the U.S. government, was the Predator drones that the military uses. Um, and we worked at their research and development facility. Oh, cool. Uh, so Eric is a mechanical engineer, um, and I am not trained in anything. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I kind of bounce around. I, I I did composites, and then I got into like five-axis CNC machining and some very niche oh, things. Five-axis, cool, yeah, cool. I was kind of just a machinist uh, or a programmer. Just, don't say just, because that's a huge deal. <laughs> Just, I barely, I barely can do my three axis uh, plasma table, five axis. (laughs) Just a machinist. Get out of here. What's cool is I always say Kevin has an engineering mind, which is why I think he can do the five axis stuff and everything. Even though he's, he is a machinist by trade, but that stuff comes easily just because he's got a technical mind. Even though, like he didn't go to school for it, which is why I think we're able to communicate. Is even though he doesn't have all the jargon from school, like uh we can i can have an engineering conversation with him just as easily as uh anybody else i went to school with and we can bounce ideas off of each other pretty effortlessly um, he actually got hired as an end well as a designer yeah designer before he transferred groups over to machining so you're sitting there working at this company and you're like okay this is cool we're building a bunch of stuff for the military did you just both get fed up about that or you want to be your own bosses or you're trying to do stuff on the side and you're like, wait a second, every tool is so expensive. Let's do our own thing. Like what was that? What, what happened next? I think the cool thing was, is because we started off a relationship, Eric and I working together in the same department and then kind of long story short, I switched departments, but I was still working with Eric. He would design stuff and then I would have to make a lot of it, a lot of the tooling or something mm. like that for some of these parts that he was designing. Um, so we had this, you know, real professional relationship. And then we, I think kind of naturally just like, Hey, it'd be fun to do this on the side as well. Not like consciously, but very subconsciously of um, just here's something fun. Let's make it like, if you design it, we'll make it, or we'll kind of design it together and, then we'll make it. So that's how we started doing stuff on the side. And we didn't really have an, a goal or objective. We're just making stuff for fun. Um, one of the first things I think we made together that was a little bit more complicated was um, if you guys know what like a toy mechanica is, yeah. um, it's these toys where you like you turn cranks and levers and camshafts. We made one of those that was like this complicated pumpkin thing where its eyes would move and a thing would pop out of them. But it's all like mechanical with gears and and camshafts and stuff. Oh, sweet. So we made one of those together for fun. And then um, after that, it went to our next big idea, which was a maze board. <laughs> yeah, before we knew we kind of want to do sell stuff and make stuff. Not with the idea of quitting, to get back to your point. We never like, like oh, we really want to be our own boss. Um, even up until three or four years into doing a Maribraid, we were still like, oh, I'll never quit the day job. This is just a side thing. Um, so that definitely wasn't the goal to do this full time. It was just fun. And uh, so as Kevin said, the next product was a maze board. We were just selling Christmas gifts. We made this balance board that we CNC'd oh, yeah. um, different paths into. And you had to stand on it and move the marble around the maze. Uh, and we sold 
probably like 30 of those to different people at work and just kind of got our feet wet and with making stuff to sell, but uh, definitely still just on the side with no mind of going full time with anything. Um, so then what, but, uh, how did you come up with the idea for, for the machines that you're selling at Ameribraid now? So another person at the company we worked at, his name is Reggie Tomerlin, super cool guy. He's, dang, is he in his 80s now? But He's going to be like 79 or 80. Yeah, but he is super accomplished, respected engineer in the aerospace world. He was the president of engineering for Northrop oh, wow. in the 80s. Um, and he was the, for the B2 bomber program. He was the president of engineering. Yeah, the stealth bomber. And uh, wow, yeah, wow, he just kind of took me and Kevin under his wings. He liked us, he likes mentoring younger guys, and uh, he was the one that showed us the concept of a two by 72. And he wanted one, so he asked me to design it, thought it was a good exercise. And he he was so cool. He would, when I was saying like we didn't have money for tools, he used to just buy st- me my first drill press, he'd give me a welder, like. He just really wanted to see the stuff that we were making. He got a lot of satisfaction out of that. So he really kickstarted our shop to begin with, but then he kickstarted this by just having me make design and make the first grinders. And uh, he really wanted to see us turn it into a business. He kept encouraging us like, you guys, he's like, I don't need anything from you guys. If you guys make a successful business out of this, that'll be all the satisfaction I need. That's Holy the only payback I need. That's incredible. So, hey, some great mentorship. Yeah. Just that selfless, <laughs> yeah. like not, not in it for anything, but just you guys succeeding. Yeah. How did rare is the, that? Did you guys see the old first one we built that Kevin posted about on our Instagram a couple of days ago, that light blue one? I think so. That yeah. was, I'll bring that, that was the very first one of three we built. Um, one for me, one for that older gentleman, Reggie, and then one for another friend. Um, and he paid for all the materials. Um, and just so we could all have one. Oh wow! Um, yeah, but, that's amazing. Yeah, and just a, yeah, just like not because everyone's in it for a buck, right? Yeah. Like every show that you see, you know, whether it's you know like Shark Tank, I hate that show, but like you know there's like Shark Tank, or <laughs> it stresses me out watching those guys pitch to those those people. But like they're always in. Oh well, I'm not going to make any money off this. I'm not going to make any money off this. But he was just investing in you. And with no agenda, like that's refreshing. Right. It was very, I wish we, we get so busy. I wish we stayed in top contact with him more because he was such a crucial part of getting us started, but um, definitely don't talk to him as much as we should. But um, yeah, he was just kind of like in working retirement at the time. And we we're lucky that that lined up because he didn't have to work. He just kind of worked for fun and now he's fully retired. So we almost missed him. <laughs> yeah wow how long did that take to design that first one the first idea or i guess the, uh, the, the yeah yeah it's hard to say it's been so long my memory is terrible but i was just doing it in some down t- i don't know if i should say this <laughs> on a recording but while, while i was at work so i was doing it kind of on company time hate to say that but <laughs> I was doing it while I was at work. We can edit and, that uh, out if you want. That's okay. <laughs> nah, I mean, I don't think it's a big deal. I think I'm safe. Yeah. But uh, that was probably 
three weeks of kind of in between my other responsibilities. And uh, yeah, what was cool is we had a real open office. So I got feedback from a lot of engineers that were walking by like, Oh, what are you working on? And then they little, so with that in mind, it was kind of funny. One of the things, the first version I drew was with a gas strut instead of tension springs. And that's one of the things I think sets our machine apart is a lot of the other machines use gas struts. So I just went that way just by default. And uh, another engineer was walking by and was like, I hate gas struts. He's like, they're always blow seals and they're expensive, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it was just in that open format is where I kind of was convinced like, yeah, springs are kind of the way to go. They're super cheap and super uh, reliable. And uh, a lot of my designs are always just like, I lose track of who's that ideas or who's because I just feed off of whatever suggestions people have as they're watching. I try to <laughs> bounce my ideas off as many people as possible throughout the design process so that I can correct course early on like that. And I'm real happy that we went the route we did with that. Yeah. That's yeah, I love that. So what was in what happened next? So you you're at, you're in the firm you are designing this stuff, getting some great feedback. How valuable is that though, by the way, from all your engineer oh, yeah. friends that are around. And so you finally come up with this, what do you make a prototype? And then yeah. you just said like, how, what, what were your next steps? How did you get it out there? So I guess that's where Kevin kind of came in. Cause me and Kevin were friends, but he wasn't in like, he didn't, didn't, wasn't part of those first three, but except on the outskirts. Then he was like, Hey, we oh, just okay. did a maze boards. Uh, but I really want one of these machines because Kevin has more of a fabrication background. You can talk about kind of what you did before and why you would wanted the machine and to jump in on it. Yeah. When I, I saw it, I thought it was awesome. Um, you know, my, my background's automotive racing and fabrication and stuff like that before I kind of got into, or at the same time I was getting into some of the machine world. So I'd done a lot of uh, that stuff and there's certain machines that were real um, kind of standards in the industry. And I'd always looked in Craigslist for those machines for a used one, you know, even if you're doing it as your day job, it's always, you know, always the blue collar dream to set up your garage, to do all this yeah, stuff. Of at course. Home as well. Yeah. We talk about that every single day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was always looking for them in Craigslist, you know, at the time used ones in Craigslist, like $1,500. Wow. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's an unfathomable amount of money. Um, so when I saw Eric make it, I was like, dude, this will work perfect for some of the stuff I want. And like other guys have to need that as well. Me and Eric both felt that. So we're like, let's just start making them and see how it goes. You know, since we'd done that amaze board, uh, let's, let's give this a shot. Yeah. And we were a little cocky about how cheap we could make them. We we're like, Oh, 1500 bucks for a used one. We can make these things so much cheaper. We were a little naive. Yeah. I literally remember thinking, I was like, we'll be able to make these and ship them with a motor for $300, <laughs> which is just like, so not close. <laughs> they look like such a simple machine in concept. They are, but man, it really adds up and you don't realize until you get into doing something at a business level you can't just like pull stuff from the scrap bin and yeah yeah, like you actually have to pay for the bolts and everything like because i think a lot of people still like 
we never say our stuff's cheap. It's um, we try to say it's affordable or high value. Yeah. Um, but they see it like they still think our stuff's expensive, even though it's still way cheaper than some of those other standard machines Kevin was talking about, like Birkins and things like that. But it's like, well, you're comparing it. All you see is like the steel, but you're not adding up all the stuff that you would just pull from your scrap bin of like, oh, I've already got a knob laying around. I've got these bolts. And that's what I think where our mindset still was when we started was like why we thought we could do it so much cheaper than we could. But um, once you're like, oh, that dries up pretty quick and you just got to take every single piece into account of the cost. Otherwise you start losing money <laughs> real yeah, fast. Yeah. And that bolt bin <laughs> kind of dries up after a while, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did it take off after prototype, after those first three units were built? How, how did it take off? Tell us a little bit so more from, about that. From there, we decided to make 10 of them. Um, so I had a credit card with $10,000 on it and we maxed it out and made 10 of them. And I remember too, when we maxed that out, like at a panic attack, I'm not personally <laughs> good with finances. So I was like, I'm going to go bankrupt. Like I'm not gonna be able to pay this credit card off. Like I, I just know not to put money on credit cards, um, <laughs> but we made 10 of them. We like finished them. We had an event we wanted to go to, which is a, by us, there's a thing called the Kurt LeDuc off-road swap meet. Oh, cool. Um, cool. He's like a old school, famous off-road racer. Um, so we took these 10 of them to this off-road swap meet. And I thought dudes were going to like laugh us out of here with this like homemade equipment. Um, and it's kind of a weird swap meet. It goes for like 24 hours straight. Like you don't sleep. Um, so for 24 hours, we were displaying, demoing all this equipment um and there's just a crowd of people around us the whole time they loved oh, it like they wanted awesome. to buy them yeah we were just doing throwing sparks all night which is a pretty good way to attract a crowd when sparks look real good in the middle of the night people love sparks <sighs> it's a good okay. pitch yeah that's great <laughs> so then you're at that moment where you're like okay i think we're onto something yeah that gave us all the confidence we needed yeah we're like we we're on to something here yeah, so you know, we sold those 10 and built 15, sold those 15, built 20, you know, and just kept, kept doing that for three years. It's uh, funny how that felt like high production at the time. Like we have, we laugh, we go with doing the old pictures in our camera roll. Like I remember Kevin would text me a picture of some parts he machined in a batch of like 20 and be like, dude, look at all these parts. Like <laughs> this is production. <laughs> And now when we look back, it's just like this tiny little stack of parts. And now, because now we're so used to doing stuff in giant baskets of 100, and I'm sure those baskets will look silly to us in the future. Yeah, but, and we do that 100, like, it depends on the parts, but sometimes twice a month you'll see, you'll run a production of 100 or something, so. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. So how do you guys, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say at the time, talking about making those batches, we didn't have our own CNC equipment yet. So, well, Kevin did have his own CNC mill that he kept at a friend's shop yeah. where he was running some of those parts. But a lot of the stuff we would, Kevin would wake up real early before work and go in and steal some machine time at another friend's machine shop. They had another friend who was real nice. He would ask me to do stuff sometimes because I was real good at programming. Um, and kind of the unspoken rule was, uh, 
if I help him, he helps me. I guess it's not an unspoken rule, just a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So Wait he's like, second. yeah, I don't care. Like you can use the machine. So I would get to his shop at three, work till five, trying to like make some of these parts. And then I drive up. Uh, I live pretty far from where I work from where the aerospace company is about 65 miles. Oh, wow. So then I drive in, uh, pick Eric up. We go to work after work. We'd come home and make these grinders and stuff and try to fulfill orders until about like nine or 10 o'clock. And then I'd go home, sleep for like two or three hours, wake up and do it again. Holy smokes. So it was a grind for a few years then. It sounds like. Unintended. Yeah. It was, and it was weekends and like, we always say, people are like, well, why'd you do it? And we always talk about this, like, we're not really sure why we did it. We just kept going. <laughs> it was just, fun. It, yeah, it was definitely fun. Like, when I would sleep for two or three hours back then, I'd wake up and I would just, like, be so excited to wake up. But Kevin got the short end of that stick. I uh, lived a lot closer, so <laughs> I would sleep in and wait for him to come pick me up and... <laughs> Get chauffeured to work. But he's been up. He's been up for eight <laughs> hours already. Yeah. <laughs> Put in a full day's work. So, at what yeah. time did you realize that we can do this? Like, what time? At what point did you say or think that we could leave? You could leave your day job and consider this a full time gig and start, you know, producing these uh, production wise. So, semi early on, um, when we were still testing. We, we were making and selling grinders, but we made a video of us testing the grinder. And Eric put it on Facebook, and it kind of went like semi-viral. Um, I think it got two or three million views. And like it was one of those videos, all these other accounts are sharing it, and they weren't tagging us. Um, so that had a bunch of comments. And from that, that kind of gave us like this big boost in sales. Like that that video was, I think kind of pivotal to kicking us off pretty mm. good. Yeah. It uh, kind of pushed us past, uh, this flat spot and kind of made it more real to where we kind of got kickstarted more serious and it was becoming more of a business than just a little side project. So yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's still where we thought about going full time. That was just where we, started having to treat it a little more officially. We hired other full-time guys before we went full-time. We hired a few employees that would work, well, at my shop at home, because we still run this out of my home shop. I'm at home right now. <laughs> really? But, uh, that's yeah. wicked. Yeah. So That's, uh, that's one of the things I was going to ask you, because, like, when I, when I, when, I don't know, I, did I reach out to you, Kevin, or did you... I forget how it was, that worked. It was mainly me talking to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so thank you for that, When our account by the way. got stolen, kind of. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that here, too, in a sec. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I see the logo, and I, I how do you stay? How do you guys stay so humble? Because like you're like, yeah, I'm at home right now. We're working out of our shop. It's kind of, I'm assuming, just the two of you. But like... When I'm watching YouTube and you know watching whatever on Motor Trend, or everyone seems to have one of your machines, and like <laughs> you're, it's like an industry. You guys are, I don't know, it's a well-known name in the industry, but you guys are still really humble about it. 
And it, I really appreciate, and you, like you said, yeah, we're at my house, whatever. We'll just build them out of my home shop, whatever. It's like. This is actually all up front. We're on a private jet right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, we paid so much money in interior designers to make it look like a home <laughs> shop. <laughs> like those empty Red asked. Bull cans are not cheap. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, let me tell you how we stay so humble. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm the most yeah. humble man in the world. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's. Um... I think it's just because there's an old layer of separation. It's like since you are working at home, it just feels like you're doing your daily thing, and you, there's like a layer of separation where stuff doesn't feel real. You see it out there, but I don't know. It's not like you get treated like a celebrity because of it when you're out. Even when you get to meet the cool people, it's all fun and exciting, but there's still this like layer of separation where um, the machine is more the celebrity than us. Mm. I don't know. I think too, like we really take a lot of pride in helping people. Every time a guy buys a shop, we know every time he buys a shop, every time a guy buys a machine and he gets it in a shop, we know we're going to like drastically improve his work life by using this machine. And I don't sound humble by that. <laughs> we always try to be humble in any sales or anything, but um, we know, we know the machine's worth its weight in gold pretty much. So yeah, yeah that makes all... it feel a lot easier is no, you never have to feel guilty about selling people on stuff because you know it speaks for itself they can just get it in their hands like uh you don't have to talk it up and try to be proud about your machine and uh oversell it because it just speaks for itself hey yeah and that feels good to just uh, not have to be a big talker yeah not to oversell it to make up for the inefficiencies that your machine has it just just let the machine do the talking Right. Yeah. Which is a good guiding principle too when we're designing stuff is um, one of the things we have a lot of different litmus test views for like making design decisions. And one of the ones is like, what do we want people to say to us when they come up to us at a show about this after they use it? What do we want their response to be when they come up and talk to us? Like what would feel good for them to say? And what if it's just like, oh, this was really cheap this is a nice cheaper version of something else I could have bought. That doesn't feel good. Like what we want to hear is like, wow, this was so clever how you did this. And this made my life so much easier, or I can do this so much faster now than I used to like just making stuff cheaper and knocking off someone else's design in a more affordable way is not satisfying. So um, yeah, that's one of the kind of questions we ask ourselves to make design decisions. Cause there's lots of different ways you can, solve every problem and um some of them are more exciting than others so we always just pick the route that gets us a little more excited about the concept it's nice when the machine or piece of equipment can talk for itself because there's a lot of times where you know you get different people or companies and there's a lot of social media and a lot of talk about stuff but sometimes maybe you know the product whether it's a piece of equipment or something maybe doesn't necessarily hold up to what is being talked about. Yeah. So it's kind of nice that you can kind of step by and step back and say, here's our machine, go use it. And that's speaking for itself, right? You don't have to put all that time into, you know, having this, and I'm sure some of these companies have a crazy budget on social media and marketing and, um, 
I'm always a fan when you let the thing that you're buying do the talking and show you what 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 the what is the worth of this machine. Yeah. You start using it, and you're like, right there, there it is. <laughs> yeah. So good on and you for that. I think that's a good long term plan. We do struggle though, because yeah. if no one if they never get it in their hands to um, figure that out in person, then they'll the customers will fall victim to whoever has the better better marketing. So um, it doesn't matter that the machine speaks for itself if people never get it in their hands to let it speak so um it's a dance of trying to figure out of being humble and underselling and over delivering but also getting the people's attention so competitors don't you know get them by by doing the opposite of overselling and under delivering <laughs> yeah the, like the fluff the fluff aspect hey yeah, yeah. so i got a question what was what was the moment or which well-known fabricator or whatever shared or like, what was the moment when you're like, okay, like, I think we have something here. Well, maybe not have something here, but like, not we've made it, but like, okay, this is, this is good. And, and you started your flow. Like, was it, I'm just pulling names out of, out of the sky here. Like, did, did someone like Ian Johnson share something or like buy the machine? Like, were you, looking at your sales one day and be like that person just bought this thing Sweet. you know like, you know what i mean were you fan fangirling <laughs> we still fangirl a lot um, ian it's so awesome like some people you'll approach them back like, hey i think you can use this and if you could talk to them they'll be like oh yeah that looks cool and then they'll get it but then like uh when ian johnson hit us up maybe six or eight months ago i feel like um i feel like he contacted us and even when he did that i was like oh man dude like that feels good because you respect this person and like you want to reach out to them and say, hey, I think you can use this. Um, but I think he actually hit us up. So like every time that happens, it I think it still feels just as good as the first time. I'm trying to think who the first big person was that like we kind of were like, oh, wow. I don't know if anyone comes to your head, Eric. Yeah, I've got a situation. It's not necessarily in timeline of the first one, but a kind of a turning point in my mindset was um, Blake Wilkie, but only because... So up to that point, I felt like I couldn't approach people and I didn't feel confident enough that we had a name or a brand that you could just cold call somebody and approach them and have any sort of rapport to get their attention. And luckily Kevin was better about that. Kevin was like, dude, I think Blake could use one of these. And Kevin messaged him. I was like, oh, dude, you're crazy. Like, you can't just message somebody <laughs> like that. Like, Do you not know who that person is? Yeah. And then he hit us back up and was like, yeah, let's do this. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's and something that went to so this, well yeah. that, like I said, there were other cool people before that, that we had worked with, but it, the way that they came about, I think was different. So I still had this feeling of like, you, it, you have to wait for them to ask you. Um, and so I was glad Kevin took the initiative and hit him up because it kind of changed my mindset of like, oh, you have something here that people need and want, and uh, it's good enough to uh, kind of approach a few people if you think that it's a good fit. I think it's interesting because these are all people, right? And yeah. like when, for instance, when we, I kind of took 
Kevin's approach. It's 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 this is kind of interesting because I think there's some parallels between you guys and us. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. It's kind of cool because <laughs> we were talking. I was like when we first started the show, and uh, we were kind of brainstorming and and uh, big dreamers over here. And Corey was like, "Well, imagine if like we could get you know just some of these guys that we've watched on Kevin Sp- on Spike TV, yeah. Kevin." Kevin Tate's yeah. and Ian and oh, wouldn't that be crazy? And then yeah. I, and I'm like, let's send him a message. And here I'm like, we can't do this right now because we're just starting out. Yeah. And, you know, kind of being that like, oh, I don't know about this. And I was like, and you're like, why would they? What are they gonna say? No. If they say no, that's fine. But what if they say yes? So we just sent yeah. out a message, and Kevin was the first one to respond. He's like, oh yeah, let's do it. And Corey's like, what? I my jaw I'm not ready for this. Are you kidding me? And it was, so it's like, these. we put these people, these celebrities, you want to call them, or industry faces or whatever, um, like up on a pedestal. And then it's like, how, how, why are you saying yes to like little old me? But then at the same time, we're all human beings, right? And there's, there's some, there's some consistency there, at least with, with um, just on a human level. So it's like, why, why wouldn't they? You know, and yeah. it's really, really cool that you guys, you know, you're starting out and you're like, well, but uh, it's commendable that you're like, well, we can't really approach, you know, we should wait, right? Wait till you're ready or wait till they kind of approach you. But good on you for having like a balance. It seems like you two really balance each other out that way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. What's funny is it's not always consistent. Like, oh, Kevin's always <laughs> the one pushing. I'm always the conservative one. Sometimes it switches, but which is nice, like that there's always that second person to balance balance out because oh man it would be tough to do this on our own uh, at least i feel like i think kevin agrees <laughs> no, no absolutely like we we balance one another out so perfect like every time i have a deficiency or a bad habit or something i realize like eric is there to either rein me in or fill that deficiency like mm. it it works perfect I would say that our biggest struggles as a company are the areas where maybe we both have like blind spots and are lacking experience. Uh, and because uh, there's certain areas where as ver- varied as our expertise is, there's just like web design and uh, certain things that neither one of us have experience with. And uh, that's probably our biggest shortcoming because uh there's only so much between the two of us. Yeah, and you're already tackling so much. Sometimes it's hard to uh, have the confidence and the motivation to tackle something you're not good at when you're already trying to do and accomplish some of the stuff you are good at. Yeah, well, and to put more on your plate too when you're you know, doing when you're almost maybe at max capacity with what you're dealing with and then to think of you know, web design, marketing, that whole, even social media, right? I mean, a lot of these yeah. companies have departments and you know, for marketing, social media, and to be a smaller company, I could only imagine, you know, and especially maybe not having the the knowledge of how to design websites or all this stuff. There's a, a lot to it and you could maybe slap it together and hope for the best, but you also want to have a good product that, or a good design and layout that speaks, um, that shows off your product and right. You, you want to spend the, the time into it to make sure it's right and not just yeah. get it whipped off because, well, we need to have it. So, you know, adding that stuff onto an already full plate's got to be hard too. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys deal with that too. Just 
trying to do the podcast stuff on top of, I mean, you guys are, have busy full lives too. And just how do you promote the podcast on top of recording the episodes and then just, I don't know how much post production there is, but it's like, oh man, like you said, if you had somebody, it's easy enough to say, oh, hire someone to do it. It's like, what's that next step to be able to afford that next person to be able to yeah. do the next step? Like, oh, totally. Like we've but, only been doing this since, yeah, like we said, June 1st is when we kind of launched and we're, we're both shop teachers. Like I teach welding fabrication in a high school and Corey teaches wood shop in high school. And so we all both have, we're both married. We both have, Corey's got two kids. I have three kids. And then there's the podcast. <laughs> and so that's why we, we book all these days. We book a couple of days where we hammer out three or four and then we can edit them as we go. And then we have a bunch of content for the future. But then it's like, oh, we should probably be sharing, starting to do reels and we should probably, so we have like a project truck and, and we should probably oh, be man. doing this. And, and uh, well, the project truck's my own thing. And I'm just kind of bringing it in. I have an old 51 International that we're putting on a 2000 Chevy uh, or GMC Yukon XL frame. So All we're right. trying to like share that. And, and yeah. then it's like remembering, because it's not that whole everything is content. It's true, but it's not, it's tough when you don't remember to do that. Like uh -huh. little things we were talking with, um, we, we were talking with another guy yesterday. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to say it because I don't want to give it away yet, but we were talking with a YouTuber <laughs> yesterday and he was talking about, you know, like a video, a long form video, which is like 20, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, but how you can use little insufficient, well, seemingly insufficient parts of that video as like reels. Right. And so it's yeah. like, well, I'm like the other day I was working on a, replaced a carburetor on my snowblower. It's like, well, I could have recorded that and put yeah. that out as content, but you don't think about that stuff too. Plus, I just yeah, wanted to get it done so I can get it inside and make supper for my kids, you know? Like, <laughs> and I'm not exactly. I'm not one to film everything. I've never been like that. I will finish a project and think after it's done, oh, I should have I should take pictures now. Or, you know, I'm never thinking when you're busy and, you know, whether you guys are, you know, putting your units together, whatever, machining, sometimes it's hard to, you know, if you're not in that mindset to pull your phone out and, you know, start filming that you're already busy exactly. enough and focused on, you know, say you're machining a whole bunch of batch parts Well, you're loading, offloading parts, put it on the machine. Like, I don't know if you're, if you're not wired for that, I'll pull my phone out and film or maybe have somebody doing it. It, yeah. it, it always goes by me and I'm like, I'll finish four or five projects and be like, wow, I have no pictures and nothing of it. Or I'll think, yeah. Oh, after I'm done, Oh, I shouldn't, that would have been the perfect thing to film a little, you know, short or whatever but i just i just don't think that way so i think we kind of even each other out a bit lance <laughs> is a bit more better with the well he is the face of the social media so <laughs> i'm just it's right over my head <laughs> oh we're the same way we say the same thing because we do a lot of cool little side projects but it's always just like oh that would have been really cool to share but like you said <laughs> exactly if you're not in that mindset it just kind of takes away from you getting the thing done it's a whole nother effort on top of the effort of doing the thing and, uh, crap i should have recorded that yeah and then going back to the blake wilkie thing i think that was the first time i saw someone with that mindset because he came by and picked up his machine from our shop and it was so strange to me that just mid-convert and he does it in a real very respectful way i just realized this might sound like <laughs> but like mid-conversation he'd pull out his phone and start like recording in like selfie mode whatever we were saying it's like 
it was a kind of culture <laughs> shock thing for me. Like I'm not in that mindset. I'm just in the moment of talking, but he's remembering to um, pull it out and make it, some footage. Yeah. Which is why he's successful <laughs> at it. Like, Oh, man. Uh, so yeah that but, kind of showed us that it's like you said a mindset we all have areas always. to grow too right and that's the other thing we're all learning yeah. we're all learning oh yeah so if we rewind back what was um i guess for kevin and eric um were you involved kevin you mentioned kind of some machinist stuff were you hands-on as a kid and same with you eric you might be able to answer this individually um were you around tools and stuff and building things when you were younger or did this kind of kick in after the fact, um, maybe after high school or something, could you kind of build upon your childhood and, and kind of explain what was going on and what you were doing to kind of get into this realm of, uh, fabrication and design and stuff. Yeah. You um, go first. All right. So I definitely was around tools and very independently had access to my dad's, tools but he didn't have a crazy shop he's uh not a fabricator he did some fabrication out of necessity around the house but you know he had a little drill press stick welder and like a chop saw so i built all my own ramps and things but i never knew i even wanted to be an engineer until i didn't know what an engineer was until senior year of high school and i had to pick something and <laughs> for to go to college for and i was like uh i don't know I was like, what do you go to school for if you like want to design roller coasters or build robots or something? And so that's, that was how I picked my, as foolish as it was. And luckily I ended up really enjoying engineering, but I had no concept really of what engineering was. And uh, so I didn't get into building stuff at a more technical higher level than just skateboard ramps until college. Um, but in college, I, was part of what's called the Baja SAE team um, where you build like a little off-road vehicle and compete oh, against sweet. other colleges. Um, and that's where I think helped a lot of mine and Kevin's relationship kick off was that shared, like we were able to talk about suspension design and things. I had a little bit of background there and he had the interest in off-road and I grew up riding dirt bikes and stuff. So I was already interested in off-road racing and stuff, even if it was two wheels instead of four. Yeah. But uh, um, yeah, so I'd say that's, and then I did a lot of machining for that, um, more manual machining, not a lot of CNC, but it gave me the language again, where I can talk machining language to Kevin, um, and he's able to uh, have engineering type conversations with me. But uh, yeah, then most of my, I would say, really good experience came from, I only had the one engineering job out of school, which was general atomics. Um, I went straight from school to where me and Kevin met and that's where I got all, you think, you know, a lot coming out of school, you think you're real smart, but <laughs> man, it's very different in the real world. And like we were talking about those other engineers walking by were so willing to share their knowledge. I picked up so much from each individual person and kind of put together a composite style almost of design from the things you like of the way different engineers work. And uh, I was a tooling designer at first, I, um, which is kind of a cool way to learn because you're taking airplane parts that other people have designed and you're designing the manufacturing process for it. So a lot of composite lamination molds and things, oh, cool. but you're inside their CAD models and seeing how they built it. And that's how I kind of became like 
this is the least humble thing to say, <laughs> but kind of became the CAD guru. Everybody kind of came to me for um, CAD design questions just because I really like digging into how different people built their models. And I, again, built, picked up all these composite techniques from different designers and learned the software in depth more than a lot of people. And um, I think that was kind of my superpower. Um, what software do you prefer? Uh, it's a weird one. It used to be called Pro-E, now it's called Creo Parametric. Um, like nobody uses it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I think Caterpillar Tractors uses it. Uh, and then some European companies use it. But I tried to switch away uh, when we went to our own thing because it's more expensive than other CAD softwares. Mm -hmm. But man, it was such a crippling thing to not to give up nine or 10 years of experience where I was doing that software for 10 hours a day. Like you just can't replace that. And so I just, we just decided to keep with it, even though it's more expensive. So I still use that. It's yeah. a really good software. It's just not a lot of people use it. And Eric is really good at it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so why, mess, why mess with a good thing, right? Like around here, yeah. Everyone in industry, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but around here, everyone that I've talked to in that type of industry uses SolidWorks. But then for our for school, uh, we can get an educational, like uh, Fusion 360 Autodesk is really good about giving teachers and students like free access to their stuff. Right. And so it's like, there's even that disconnect there. So that like, well, I'm talking to industry people and they're just kicking ass on SolidWorks. And then I'm like, well, oh, I can access this fusion because SolidWorks doesn't give the same opportunities to teachers and students as that. So I'm trying to teach kids fusion and there's some yeah. disconnects there, but it's all at the end of the day, you're, you're thinking in 3d and that's the yeah. biggest, that's the biggest thing to be able to do. I think. Right. Yeah. I always tell people it's like, um, practicing piano. You want to get those musical concepts down Yeah, and then you, that's why piano is such a good base for learning music but then once you get an in once you choose an instrument that you're going to make yours like you want to practice it enough to make it an extension of your creativity to where you don't have to think about the instrument it just helps you and that's what i feel like i have with creo but i don't have with other softwares is like i it, it can do whatever i know how to make it do whatever i want without thinking yeah and like it's just an extension of my ideas um, but I tried fusion fusion is actually really good. I just didn't have that level. I could make some stuff. Like you said, you're thinking in 3d. Um, and so a lot of the concepts are the same, but the details, I was just awkward with it. Um, but I tell anybody new getting into it, I'm like, use SolidWorks or fusion. Don't mess around with Creo. <laughs> <laughs> we actually use fusion here too. For any new guys we hire that need to do a little basic CAD work, we get seats of fusion. I don't make them learn Creo. I'm like, that's a wasted you won't be able to take that anywhere else, like learn something that will actually be useful somewhere other than here. It's pretty handy, I think. Yeah. yeah. So how many, how many employees do you guys have? Or how many people total working for you right now? I got to recount it without making you sit here and listen to me count roughly 14, 15, something like that. And they're all in that home shop kind of area. We split three or four of them off to our 
laser cutting building. Oh, it's about yeah. 15 minutes from here. We should talk about the laser cutting stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't give Kevin a chance. I kind of hogged that last question too, though. No, no, you're on. good. Let's hear Kevin. I really like, I really like a lot of Kevin's history. It's kind okay. Of yeah. Let's do that. And then we'll get into lasers. Cause who doesn't love lasers? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, it's, it's like a different topic, but it is something funny. Um, because I do ex try to explain to people, like one of the things I was born with is just a confidence of mechanical things and other things that I really shouldn't be confident in, but <laughs> I'm just like confident enough to say I can do it. And then I do it. And half the time I might fail, but half the time I actually do it. So it's a He's win. He's not afraid. He's not afraid to push buttons. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but no, growing up, my dad was like just straight up a hoarder with cars and tools. Um, we just had like a regular little house and we had like 20 or 22 cars at that house. Um, and just, we had a four car garage that you couldn't even walk in. Cause there's just like literally from floor to ceiling, just full of piles of tools. <laughs> and I mean, just like full blown hoarder. Um, but a good type of hoarder. Yeah, yeah. So me and my little, <laughs> me and my little brother, uh, when we were like eight and ten, we would just dismantle stuff for fun in the backyard. Like we just take tools and just like pull cars or boats apart, or just like try to get them running. And that was just kind of like our childhood. That was, I guess, what started it. Um, and then for me, like I, I almost remember exactly when motorcycle mania came out with jesse james yeah oh yeah and i saw someone take a piece of metal and do something to it weld it cut grind bend and make something that was cool and like get respect while doing it i didn't quite realize the time but that like spoke to my soul yeah so i told my dad i was like i want to learn how to weld like as soon as we saw that i was like i want to learn how to weld and uh we had an old arc welder in the backyard with like hundred foot lead. So the arc welder being in our backyard, like through the house, I'd have the arc welder leads coming out to the front yard <laughs> and I would just like weld everything. I, I was like 12, I was like oh, 11 or 12 years cool. old. And I would just weld everything I could think of just like pieces of scrap metal together. I'd like try to weld stars or like I tried go peds were like really big at the time. I tried to like make my little brother a go ped stand for his go ped. Um, so that's what started it. And then uh, from there, I have no idea how or why, but I told my dad, I was like, oh, like the guys on TV are MIG welder. We need a MIG welder. And my dad went and bought me a MIG welder, wow. like a Millermatic 210. I remember it was $999 at the time, which is like, they're selling for more than that used now, but he bought me a brand new MIG welder. And I just completely mastered that. Like if anyone would talk about welding, I'd be like, be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm the welder. I got this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is like unjustified, but like that confidence gave me everything I need. It's so like in high school, I was, it wasn't my first job, but my second job, a guy came, I, we actually had auto shop in my high school, which was really um, rare. Like all the schools in our school district and area got rid of auto shop and wood shop. Um, wow. They, actually like outsourced it to like a separate state funded company, I think called ROP. Um, so these teachers would come in that were actually hired by another company called ROP and they would come into the school and have like these small budgets and teach. We had wood shop and auto shop. 
Um, so I took auto shop and uh, I I don't know if the teacher asked or something or he had some project he wanted done, but I was like, don't worry. I'm the welder. I got it. It's so like I started welding stuff for him and then I became his uh, TA and wow. I would just like weld stuff all day and make all kinds of stuff for him. That's wicked. That's crazy that they outsource yeah. the stuff. Maybe we should form a company we outsource. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it sounds like that's where they're going with everything. I mean, you guys being shop teachers, you know how important that is to kicking off stuff because I kind of skipped that. But wood shop in high school is one of the things that kind of gave me confidence to like, I was good at that. And like, yeah. even though it was wood and not metal, it's still just like these confident skills of working with your hands and like, oh, I don't have to rely on someone else to build this stuff. I can do it almost gives that confidence, right? Like there's a lot of uh, uh, skill sets that you can pick up, whether it's an automotive welding fab wood shop that kind of carry over to um, different trades and even different industries. We're probably pretty sure even with the engineering side too, right? Like there's a lot of soft skills, I like to call them that um, students and people can kind of, when you kind of get into something, they transfer over to so many different uh, yeah. niches that um, it's a good baseline to have. And even just being around equipment and machines and mm -hmm. design processes too. That's, I think it's also valuable. What ages uh, do you guys absolutely. work with? Uh, we're, I'm nine to 12 and uh, Lance grade, is. Grade nine to 12. Yeah, grade nine to 12. So and 14 I'm, to 18. I'm grade 10 to 12. So yeah, yeah. we're basically high school. The, right. the so, school division that, that Hoff uh, works in, um, it, their high school for them is grades nine through 12. And then ours is um, grades 10 through 12. Yeah, so they might be in the same position I was. They don't really know what they want to do. And yeah, exactly. I can see where you think like, oh, I'm learning this to be able to do this as a profession. But even me, like I went into engineering by having that confidence leads so much into being able to design well and uh, have a mindset of how things are made to be able to design them better. So I would say like if you're talking to students, being able to tell them like, even if you're not going to build stuff for a living, this is valuable anyways. Oh, of it course. just gives you like so much context of how the world works. Yeah, and and to be able to, it, most two of the most rewarding thing, or one of the most rewarding things for me, um, in that situation is having a kid, especially the projects, having them think of an idea, design it, you know, start building it, prototype it, you know, change it a little bit, whatever, and then leave there with something that they've thought about, like go from brain to holding it in your hand. That's so rewarding for them. And in that, those types of skills and that confidence can, you know, help anything materialize in your life, right? Whether it's, oh, yeah. I want to become a it doctor. Absolutely like, think about it. Change the trajectory of people's lives. 100%. And we've, th we both have had that with our students, right? Like I've had kids come in who've never touched a welder before. And now they're in their third year um, of, of their journeyman training to become a, a certified welder. And it's like, get just and it's not me it's just the school providing an opportunity for them to like try a skill and then away you go and same with but it is you to you. a certain point correct well i didn't a, want to say that <laughs> creating an talk about humility here right like <laughs> giving the kids an atmosphere and environment where they can struggle and make mistakes and learn from them and just being a kind of inviting space where yeah let's give this a shot sometimes there's projects where i'm sure you probably both run into this where you have an idea and there's lots of problem solving and you might not know how to do it. You might need to go, you know, call somebody up or, you know, have somebody stop by and collaborate or, you know, problem solve. And yeah. I think just giving that environment, um, 
is a big thing and obviously you know personality and stuff helps at high schools and stuff but it's yeah it's just all skills that um and it might inspire them i've had i don't have a lot of students that go into necessarily woodworking or carpentry but a lot of uh, welding and automotive uh, we also have automotive and auto body at the high school i work at so um just being immersed in a bunch of different trades um and just being yeah being thrown into it and then they can decide and lots of them might not go into the trades they might go into dentist doctor you know whatever go to high school or sorry go to university um but it can translate into so many different things in life that sometimes trying to get that through the students too and even adults can be hard you know like yeah. oh i'm running a table saw and running and doing grinding and welding and how is this going to relate to you know, when I'm an accountant later on, well, you know, just different things. There, it's, there's so much stuff that overlaps. It's un, unlearned. Oh, yeah. Well, the, not unlearned. It's the null curriculum. It's right. It's the curriculum that's not in the curriculum. Life yeah. skills, yeah. right? And it gets abstract and trying to put it into words might make it sound like you're rationalizing things, but it's absolutely 100% like real. The yeah. communication skills you learn working with the group, how to collaborate, like you said, and then just getting like grounded in reality of like this level of perfection I see in someone who's perfected this craft, I have a respect for. Even if I didn't get to that point, I can see kind of a little more of what it would take to get to there because I actually took something to completion, like you said, and I saw the flaws in it and gives you, again, just a grounding in reality. Mm -hmm. so, I got a question it's so for you. Valuable. What's the timeline we're talking about here from from when you guys met at that aerospace company to like now? How many years has that? Two been? months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally just handed in my resignation this morning. Some yeah. humble, humble pie over here. <laughs> um, Lacey was, my first daughter was born in 2016. That's when oh. we took the, it was like, right after her birthday when she was born when we went to that off-road swap meet to sell those first five to ten uh, machines but we had already been friends how long when did you start working at ga i was 25 or 26 so i don't know what year that was but <laughs> like one or two, so it was only one or two years from the time we met to the time we took the first ones to the first machines to correct sell wow. and then it was a side gig for about four years after that and i don't know if this math is working out but then it's been <laughs> full-time for about two years since then. you're an engineer we two trust you you could, you could say whatever the hell you want i'd be like oh wow yeah <laughs> If I don't have a TI-89, though, my math is going to be wrong. Yeah. I, calculator. I got a TI-83 here sitting on the deck. Is that going to work? It's got uh, drug lords on it or whatever. That drug, war <laughs> drug wars or whatever that, that game was. Yeah. <laughs> I never got the games downloaded. I was a good kid. Oh, I, I did. Was playing on that's, why I, that's why I failed uh, grade 11 math twice. I was too busy playing drug wars and Tetris. <laughs> you could play this on the calculator? Anyways, I digress. <laughs> so Ameribraid is still quite new. And you're like, yeah, you talk about timelines about 10 years since you've known each other and been kind of developing this. That that's uh, yeah. it sounds like it's come far, and it looks like it's come very far in that time. And um, has it been hard to deal with the 
the explosion and the demand of, of this? So like, have you been able to kind of sit back and enjoy the process or does it, is it kind of too time consuming to appreciate all the hard work and blood, sweat and tears you've put into it? It, it comes in waves. Yes. Um, waves. Um, some days is just full stress of how are we going to handle this? And then other days is like, this is awesome. So glad we did this. This is like the life. This can't get any better than this. Uh, but definitely more towards the this is the life type of days, I would say. Yeah. Ask me again tomorrow. <laughs> One fun thing that like we always look at is when we when we started the company, Eric had just moved into his house with the shop and the shop was completely empty and it didn't even have lights. So literally everything in this shop we have bought or built like we had to buy light bulbs. We had to buy all the hand tools. We had to buy workbenches. We had to do everything. So it's like when we got there, it's like, when you see it, it's all been made from us. Yeah. No investors or anything. We what's funny is some of the people that we used to work with kind of asked a question that was probably felt it shouldn't have felt as good as it did, but they're like, <laughs> They thought that old guy who helped mentor us like invested because they're like, did he like, how did you guys do this? Like, did you get money from him? We're like, no, <laughs> we, had, we had Kevin's credit card. We maxed it out, paid it off and maxed it out again. Yeah, two nervous <laughs> breakdowns and yeah, lost 80 pounds was in two days from stress. But, you know, yeah. and then you get a higher limit max it out yeah even higher and yeah that's got to feel but, good when you look back and see uh all the work that you put into you know it's not like you're just hiring somebody to come in oh i just we need this this and this give them a list let them do it to kind of take it tackle that a big project on your own um that's got to be gratifying to look back and be like yeah we did this ourselves with nobody yeah. else it is i think that's why we very much so realize that we weren't ever going to go back to doing our day job thing once you kind of taste that satisfaction of having your own thing it's like it's really hard to imagine going back to being just working on someone else's dream instead of your own mm -hmm. like uh i mean there's a lot to be said for it a lot of stability and i had a lot more hair when i started uh, I've lost a lot, lost a lot of hair. Just from, from the sparks, or I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I should wear a face shield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, uh, that's funny. So let's. Uh, if you would have asked us like two months before we quit, the answer would have been like, "Oh no, I can't quit. I can't ever leave the day job." Yeah. Um, but then you start a. We got to the point where it was like all right, one is going to give like Marebraid grew big enough and there was enough going on that if we didn't give it our full attention, it was going to fail. And then when you imagine losing it, it's like, what's worse to imagine losing all the, this thing you put all this work into or that security. And we kind of tried to imagine as vividly as possible what it would be like to fail and lose that security and if you, you can kind of get comfortable with that idea to where it's not that terrible, like luckily, you know, we're lucky enough to have family and stuff. You're never going to literally live on the streets. Yeah. It's going to be uncomfortable. Maybe having to crawl up to your parents' house and ask them if you can 
have your family live with them again it hurt your pride more than anything but yeah that's good the biggest thing that you lose is your pride so if you're willing to realize i might look like an idiot or might look like a loser to somebody but it's gonna be someone you love or that cares about you then it's really not that bad the worst case scenario is not that bad yeah you're not gonna die right yeah we just we just talked about that with another guest earlier today it's like the only thing that almost verbatim what you guys are saying you might have to move in with your family you're not going to die you're going to be supported and the only thing is is you're going to be depending on how you take it are you going to be worried about what other people think of you yeah in order to make this thing happen right yeah so i'd say that's the privilege that we've got is having family and a backup plan i can see where some people don't have that but it does feel good the rest of it's all self-made but we have the privilege of like knowing that if we do fail, there's our family literally won't be living on the street. And also, too, there's I heard it good the other day, but I forget how someone put it. Words are not my forte. Um, well, you just used forte, so <laughs> I mean, you're not too bad. Words are not my key. You, you could say <laughs> words are not the thing that I do lots of good well. Yeah. Like you could have said that. Yeah. But uh, like the stability and security you think you have working a day job is an illusion. Because the company was starting to take off and like, oh man, we got to, like, we really got to, it's, it's do or die now. So Eric was like, all right, well, there's two of us. Let's, let's do it wisely. One of us quit and the other one will quit shortly after that way. There's a, a little bit of stability with that. Maybe. So Eric quit first. He decided to take the plunge first. He gave his notice um, and had to go through that whole process. And I was trying um, I was a little more worried. I had some financial stuff going on. I wanted to take care of, and I needed like two or three more months. Well, a month after Eric quit, I got laid off. Ooh. So it obviously like didn't hurt as much as being laid off, but it's yep. like, if I would have said, no, I'm not going to do a Marybrae. I'm going to stay with this company. And I would have, clo- you know, we would have closed down or I would have let go of my share of a Marybrae or something. I would have been laid off a month later anyways. Yeah. So it's like, it was meant to be, (laughs) but yeah. So, um, there, you know, there's a certain, I think, uh, illusion of stability that you get by working a day job that you, I don't know if you, you let your mind build it up too much, but it's not as secure as you think it is. Mm -hmm. That's fair. I mean, so take the jump kids, take the jump. (laughs) Um, so with that shop that you're in, are you just like on a on like an acreage and is is it massive shop or like what kind of what size are we what are we working with? Uh so my property is two and a quarter acres and then there's a uh thirty two hundred square foot shop. We added like a lean to off the side type shelter for storing inventory. That's about another thousand square feet. And then we keep adding storage containers in my front yard, the whole <laughs> stuff that doesn't fit in there. We're at a super crucial point for space that we're really trying to figure out how to get to that next step. Because even though the shop is 3,200 square feet, we're really utilizing at least 5,000. And we're completely crammed in to 5,000 square feet. Just yeah. crammed, Dave. Eh? Dude, completely yeah. crammed. So like really at the size we're at, we'd be a lot more comfortable probably in like a 10,000 square foot building if we, you know, brought all the storage that's outside, indoors, and weren't 
so stacked on top of each other with workstations. So then it's like, now you need room for growth too. So mm-hmm. it'd be kind of silly to buy a 10,000 square foot space. So, but how do you afford a 15 or 20,000 square foot space? Working when... out of 3,200 square feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All things you need to consider. Hey, that's really interesting. What about yeah, the so... lasers? So we do have a building for that. Lasers. Yeah. So what do you guys do for what can you do you want to talk about that side of the business yeah. now? And uh, yeah, what yeah, what are you offering? And it is probably I'm assuming it's relatively new. It kinda. So Ameribridge started really taking off. Um and there's a bunch of laser cutters around and we used a lot of them. And we had some things we just dis- disliked about some of them. Some of them were real expensive. Um you know, at everyone provides what they're good at. So the expensive companies were real good laser cutters. They're just really expensive. Yeah. Then you go to cheap guys and they're cheap, but they're cheap because uh, they don't communicate with you or the cut quality is poor. And that's, that's the only place they can get work is being cheap. Um, so we found two laser companies we really love to deal with, but it just got to a point where um, one month we bought 110,000 pounds of steel. And- <laughs> had that truck to our laser cutter and uh, we were still paying them a lot of money, which was, they were they giving us a great deal, but it was still a lot of money just in laser services. And uh, even to the point where they're like, Oh dude, you know, you guys are doing so much business. Like we're going to buy another laser cutter just to handle your guys' business. And we're like, so then you're like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I go, this is silly. Yeah. And we're kind of, like backing up in the conversation a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, if you have knowledge and you have a tool, now you have a skill. Mm. If you have a skill, now you can make money or you can have confidence. So with that, like we're kind of like tool whores. Every time we could like buy a tool or learn a new process, we always try to take advantage of that. So um, there's like a lot of uh, there's a lot of balances you have to do in business, and we try to outsource a decent amount for certain reasons, but also try to almost anything we have outsourced, we could do in-house as well. So now you have like built in like two suppliers. You could either send it to someone if you're too busy or if you need the work or if they fail you, you could do it in-house. Um, so that's like what gave us the motivation to buy a lot of the different CNC machines and stuff we have um, and just a lot of tools and or knowledge about certain things. So like we always kind of dreamt about having a laser like they're just awesome, yeah. but they're really big and expensive. And yeah, it's not, and you can't do joke. the same thing as you would with like plasma, or I mean, other way around. You can't do the same thing with plasma as you would with laser. It's a little right. more. Fine. There's some workarounds because that's how we got started. Actually, we bought our own plasma table, and that helped a lot with us being able to get started. And it was really hard to justify getting that plasma table because you could not justify it like financially, pen and paper. Yeah, because really? people always talk about, oh, what's the ROI? It's like, well, you can't do that math because until you have the tool, of course you don't have the work to justify it yet. Yeah. You can't because you don't have the tool. But so, it's so cool. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And that's what it felt like. It's like, are we just getting this because it's cool? But there's yeah. this intangible thing where like, we know once we have it, like just think about the things we can do. So our plasma table is like 20 grand. And that, that just was, felt like. Yeah. That felt like, oh my gosh, this is so irresponsible. But something just felt right about it. And we so glad we went through because that was just that stepping stone 
to break us through that next wall mm-hmm. where now we can prototype stuff. Like you said, you can't do everything the same as you can with the laser, but you can, there's workarounds. We would cut holes a little small and then ream them out. So they were finished um, and not as uh, you know, you'd get good quality holes by doing some just clever stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what allowed us to get to the point that, all right, we we're doing enough with our plasma table. We proved out a concept. Now we can justify sending this proved out design to a laser cutter and getting a hundred of them cut. Mm, yeah. Just, you know, um, and then that was the next step to now we're doing enough of this outsourced laser cutting work that makes sense to now actually seriously talk about bringing a laser in-house because the amount we were spending easily covered the payment. There was a little more into the operating costs that has made it not as much of a slam dunk as we thought, but it's still been good. Yeah, we probably um, still like realistically probably like broke even by bringing that stuff in-house with as much as we were doing, which was a lot. But I'm still happy breaking even because then it opens oh. up opportunities. Like we said, now you've got a laser cutter in-house that you can prototype with and you don't have to do those workarounds. You can design better stuff and you can ha- go through five iterations of a design in one day like because you don't have to wait for turnaround times and shipping and stuff. Um, so um, when we decided to bring it in-house, we actually – thought we were going to put it here at my house we bought a steel building that we were going to build because i've got plenty of acreage for another shop um but uh after we bought the building kevin one day was like you're gonna kill me but i've been thinking i don't think we should put the building up here i was like are you kidding me the building's already delivered <laughs> come on like why are you bringing this up now i was pretty mad but I let it uh, soak in, and the next day I was like, I let him make his case, and the next day I was like, you know what, I, I think you're right. Like, it's probably pretty silly to put that building up here, like, to kind of a Band-Aid to our problem, and it's not going to be a good solution long term. Like, we're already out of electricity. We already did an illegal panel upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we can edit get, that out too. All the fun, all the all the fun <laughs> stuff. No, you can, you can. I doubt someone at our local utility company. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, there. That's our biggest. Uh, some of our biggest listenership there is at the, <laughs> so the local SoCal uh, utilities. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, we're in this shop, we have seven CNC machines, and we had a plasma table at the time, and we have two forty horsepower phase converters that are running all the three phase equipment. Wow. Yeah, definitely was not intended. And when we thought we were going to do the laser, we had one of the Edison people come out from the utilities company to talk about getting us even more power. And when he looked at our setup, he was like, what the heck is going on here? He's like, no, you can't get more power. Like, what is going on in the first place? He's like, how did this even happen? And we're like, get off my property. It was like, it was like this when I bought it. Yeah. You never saw this. Please leave. We yeah. don't need any more power. Yeah. But with ingenuity, though, we actually had a plan. Um, Eric's dad does a lot of construction stuff, and he got us from one of his friends a 40-kilowatt diesel generator, three-phase generator. <laughs> we thought we were going to just run our laser shop off of that every day. And <laughs> that was one of the things that made me realize Kevin was right. So we started looking for industrial property to put the laser cutter in laser cutter was already ordered. Oh yeah. Like it was, 
on its way when we were decided to start looking for a building to put it in. And uh, so that was exciting. And, uh, <laughs> there was like no buildings anywhere. Rent was terrible. And then somehow we were just, uh, we actually were looking in like a city a little bit far away from us. We're like, oh, maybe we'll look down there. And one of our, our shop foreman at the time, he was like, I don't want to drive down there. And we were like, well, like that's all, we, that's where we might have to move because that's where we'll find a building. So he was like driving around at night in an industrial area by us. And he found a building that said for sale by owner. And because he didn't want to have to drive any farther, we went over and looked at that building and we're like, man, this is a cool building. And we talked to the owner, just like a cool old construction guy that had, you know, built it himself and was retiring. So he sold all of his equipment and was selling the building. And um, we just did a handshake deal with him and bought the building off of him. Wow. Which was like very scary as well. Yeah, no kidding. Buying, buying expensive real estate with no realtor. Because uh, he was like, <laughs> he's one of these old guys. He's like, I'm not paying a realtor. They're like, oh, can we get one? And he's like, yeah, you can, but I'm not paying. Like their commission fee's not going to come from my money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, okay. So we just did it. And I think it worked out. We'll see. I mean, we've had the building now for two years, but. <laughs> yeah. So with the with but, the lasers, um, I'm not really familiar with laser cutting with metal. Uh, is it just can they produce cuts faster, and is just the quality of cut much superior to say like a plasma or something? Definitely superior quality to plasma. Um, they've got high definition plasmas that I don't have a lot of experience with, but the way I think of those, from what I know, is those are for good for really thick uh, steel. Um, I would say a good comparison for the thicknesses we cut sometimes it's like water jet but mm. yeah the advantage with the laser is um the speed in thin materials whereas with water jet you get good cut quality but um it's a lot slower the advantage water jet has is you can cut so many different materials you're not limited to just um metals metals mm -hmm. um but the laser if you know you just cut metal all day is going to definitely be faster yeah, and really good cut quality. Like in quarter inch steel, you can cut a hole and just run a quarter inch tap through it. Wow. Oh, yeah, wow. With no chasing yeah. the hole. And uh, the other thing is cost of operation compared to water jet. Water jet, you have the pumps are expensive to maintain, and you, you're running garnet through uh, nozzles. So you have a lot of consumable of that sand that you're using. It's just a lot more expensive, slow process. Um, more universal but yeah lasers definitely suit what we do a lot better and the detail of what you can get with the laser too you can get a lot finer kerf with the width of the cut is a lot smaller so you can get finer details um, yeah so um but yeah once we got it a lot of the people up here were starting to ask us about um offering services like oh could we cut our parts we cut our parts at first we thought we were only going to cut our own ameribraid stuff yeah but then that's why we kind of decided to split it off into its own company because we kind of just noticed a need um because of like in our experience we noticed how many people were just flakes in laser cutting companies there were good ones we had narrowed it down to some good ones but doesn't mean there wasn't room in the market to utilize our laser to um help others help other yeah. business owners and stuff yeah so I think we, one thing we talked about it a little bit too, but one thing we always try to do is like, we never 
think about a problem is like, all right, how, what can we do to make money? Mm-hmm. We always try to think like, what can we do to help someone? And then if you can help them, obviously you're going to make money. Like the more you can help them, the more money they're willing to pay you. So um, we had the same exact epiphany with the laser cutter. Like we could really help people yeah. be a quality place where it we're easy to work with, where they can get quality parts and this will actually help them. They'll know what they're getting. Um, it'll be easy to do it. And hopefully it'll give them confidence to design and build more and for them to help the community in their way as well. So it's kind of like a, a common trait we always try to do or try to a moral or something we always try to live by. Well, I, and, and that's and on a human level. Um, people appreciate that and people see right through the opposite of that. Right. And I think it's a, just success comes when you put people first, really like, it's it's kind of what we're even what we're discovering when we're talking to all these people on the show um talking about company culture and what you know if you're looking to make a buck yeah maybe you'll you'll make a ton of money on the first one but then people don't forget that right yeah if you, if you put people last and, and you're just out there to make them make a buck but if you put people first um you know you help build the community around you you help build that uh, word of mouth um, awareness of, of what you're doing and people know you, these guys are awesome. They're not going to, they're not going to try to screw you over. Right. Like it's. Yeah. Just doing right. by what's funny is we didn't, we've never been good about putting a lot of stuff in um, writing and officially making like a mission statement or whatever. Luckily we've, me and Kevin have unspoken agreements on what just doing the right thing is by customers. And that's done a, really well by us with our reputation as far as customer service goes with Ameribraid just because like okay if I were the customer I would be pretty pissed if this thing showed up not working right so of course we have to replace it and it's funny how many people see that as above and beyond instead of like the bare minimum yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) um, your your mission statement is just please just google the golden rule that's all all exactly um so I mean, that's worked out pretty well for us. I'm trying to remember what else you just said that sparked an idea, um, what we were talking about. But um, Just putting people first, put, not trying to make a buck. Yeah. Um, oh, well, I was going to say is that's come pretty naturally for us with the customers. One thing we spend a lot of time talking about is how to make that environment for our employees. It's like a new mm. thing for us that we don't have a lot of experience for. It's like making that same experience experience for like people who stay here long term and within the company like how what do they get out of being here obviously it's mine kevin's dream but we don't want them to have the experience that we had at the other company where you feel like you're just working for someone else's dream and like you're not buying into the success at all like that's something we still are trying to work out a lot that we haven't figured out 100 percent. we've got a few guys that are like we're real thankful for that have been around since the beginning like uh little Eric is was our first full-time employee and we're so grateful for him but it's like man how do we make it to where they're not going to get burnt out and uh they've got a good quality of life like how do we mm-hmm. I don't know well, I think the first that... the first thing that that I mean the fact that you're thinking about that mm-hmm. I think is is way more than a lot of companies out there, right? The fact that it's on your mind, that you actually like give a rip about that kind of stuff, um, it sets. I think it sets you apart to begin with. 
I think a lot of companies think about it from a real, like they'll pay lip service to it. They'll come up with ideas, but like we, like the whole, all the, obviously, cause all the memes about like, Oh, <laughs> like let's throw a pizza party. Like, so I think there's a lot of talk about it. You but made me a million dollars. Here's some pizza and coffee from here. Domino's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. From Domino's. We just had a, actually, this is cool. We had a conversation. Um, who was that? What episode was that? Oh no, that was just today. Oh my god! <laughs> Talking about company culture. Oh my gosh! Talking about company culture. Yeah. So we yeah. had a conversation with um, Josh Nicodemus. Uh, he's uh, he's a him. His company um, stores houses or like redoes ho- remodels remodels houses and and right. sells them. Um, and he's Josh of all trades on Instagram, and he's talking about how uh, his company culture. And uh, how that's a huge thing for him. So he'd take, they'll go, him and all his employees, they'll go to like a, like a cabin, a lakeside cabin or whatever for a, like a, a retreat, I call it a retreat, whatever, however you want to call it. And they'll talk yeah. about the company goals, but then they'll also talk about like their, their employees, individual goals too. So it's like, what do you, you know, whether it's like weight loss goals or, you know, whatever, Financial um, goals, financial even goals. too. Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you, need, what are you trying to do in your life? Like, how can we support that or whatever? And then they they check in quarterly and they have like, um, they they have that accountability piece. Like, how are you doing with that weight loss goal or with that financial goal or whatever? And it just helps that it helps build that culture of like, we got your back. We're just not in it for you to make money off us or us to make money off you. <laughs> Right, yeah. we're, we're, yeah. we care about you as a person, right? And I think that's that's super important. He said he's found a lot of success in that. It's really cool. I think that'd be good too, just to get the employees talking about that sort of thing. Because we've asked them, and a lot of problems is the employees just aren't that conscious of what their own goals are. Yeah, they don't really know what would make them happy either. Like <laughs> the the obvious answer is just oh, more money. Yeah, uh, I want to make more money, and that honestly during my performance reviews when I worked at the aerospace company, that's what I would say is like, I, I want to make more. Cause I was, my mindset as a newlywed, like, wow, life would be a lot more comfortable if I had more money. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. But in like the more you think about it and talk about it, you realize like there needs to be more than that. And why do you want more money? Like, what is the money going to do? There's more to life than money. But like, but yeah. even like, okay, so that might be just like a tell for, okay, so I need more money because like, okay, so I need to, I would like to uh, an upgraded house or I'd like this or that, or, you know, We're let's, into let's real dig estate. down. I want to, yeah. div- I want to purchase some real estate or rental houses so right. that I can have maybe a retirement fund. Okay. Well, maybe that leads a discussion of instead of, okay, I just want more money. Well, right. What are some of your goals around? I mean, everybody wants more money, but what are you going to do with, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. And there's just limits to what we can offer there, but like we can get, there's no room for creativity as an employer. Like, like the math works out a certain way of what certain jobs, like obviously we would love to just have infinite money to just pay the guys, whatever they think they need. But like, there's no room for us to, kind of help in a more another way like we always try to do raises as much as possible but there's definitely realistic limits to that yeah but Mm -hmm. if you can have a real conversation about oh what i'm really looking for is like this type of freedom for my family like it's like oh we've talked about like having a shared space where the employees can like share an rv even like what if we buy an rv that and so you don't have to buy an rv like we can if you want to go out yeah 
one of the perks of working here is now you have access to this RV or like, I don't know. That's so cool because you have the ability and it's probably a little overwhelming too, but you have that ability to just do whatever you want, right? It might not be the way it's well within reason, but it might not be the way that it's always been done. Like how many companies do you see, have you worked for that will give you an access to an RV, you know, like really outside the box ideas. I think that's awesome that you guys are doing that. Yeah. Cause like, can we pay everybody enough for everybody to get their own boat? Probably not, right. but maybe if we have a company boat and like we have a way that you can, cause I don't know. No, there's not, a lot of stuff we, we've done what we call deep dives in that. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, it's not just money, what you guys are talking about. Cause we talked about the, at the last company, the last company we worked at, they were really good at paying people a lot of money, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which made it hard to leave there. But then it's like, there's a lot of people that were bitter there and they're like, well, why are you, why are you bitter? And we, we try to do a deep dive on that. Like what, what are people actually looking for in a work or when they come to work? And it's different with everyone. We have some kids that are going to school and it's like, well, your long-term goals don't align with our long-term goals. So you're going to work here until you get your degree. And then you're going to go enter your field of choice, which is fine. Like we'll help you as much as we can along the way. We had one kid who was going to school and we, he needed a laptop. So we bought him a laptop for his Christmas bonus. Wow. So we just try to do even little things like that, but it's trickier when you get to the lifetime guys that like, well, I don't necessarily want to do anything else, but like, like you said, you're trying to dive into well, what's going to make you happy. What's going to make you satisfied to come here every day and work hard. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things we realized what was it? You might be able to remember better that we kind of, we always call it removing a shovel full and we kind of like are unburying a concept that we're struggling around. And like one person will say something that kind of just takes a shovel load off of makes something a little closer to understanding. But we were talking about what we didn't like about working at General Atomics because on the surface, it was a great job, but it was like, there was something missing. That what, we we, what we specifically didn't like was, um, it is a large corporation. I think when we started, there was 5,000 employees <laughs> and that went to 10,000 employees over the course of wow. us working there. Um, but what we didn't like is when you have a large corporation, there's no, a large corporation doesn't want exceptional people to work there. Or if they are exceptional, you don't want them to do exceptional things because as a large corporation, you design these, these processes and these standards that rely on people not being exceptional. And that's the only way you can hire 10,000 of people. And if you design each position to not be exceptional, like you don't need to be exceptional. All you need to do is this. This is all you need to do for the company to be successful. But um, it's not safe for the company to rely on exceptional people because exceptional people leave. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And or hard to get, or you don't want to have to rely on finding an exceptional person every time. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we, I think kind of realized lately is like, they don't want you to be exceptional. That was some of my frustration there. Like I'd always come from smaller shops where I am like not being full of myself, but I like to be exceptional. I like to go above and beyond. I like to work hard. And they're like, there's no room for that. There's no room for that. Like you'd either get in trouble or they, people would just like, no, you can't, you can't do that. Like, and it's like someone else's job. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, stay in your lane, kid. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So what's next for Ameribraid? What's pretty cool is we got a lot of new stuff coming. Um, this last year has been the year of organization, trying to figure out 
again, one of those blind spots that we're not good at, which is organization, which is why we have always struggled to keep up with orders. Like we're busy, a lot of orders, which is part of it. But the other thing is just like supply chain issues because of everybody dealt with it through COVID, but like just our own organization was adding to that, like running out of stuff unexpectedly. So this last year we organized well enough that we're caught up and like, we're actually down to like a one week lead time. Like we're grinders are shipping the same week that they're being ordered. So wow. that has free, that has freed me up to like, I'm spending every day designing new stuff. I already have one new machine designed and it is in the middle of being prototyped. And while that's being prototyped, I've already been able to move on to a new design. Whereas in the past years, like that was not the case. I would be lucky to be able to work on a design and finish it in six months yeah. and then crawl, like force <laughs> it through production to get a prototype done because all the machines were just so tied up with. And that's like you know, having to learn how to do how to move all these moving pieces together and inventory management is a huge challenge that's like often overlooked. Like we design and manufacture and store over 200 individual pieces right now. And that we, of the parts we make, not to mention the stuff that we just buy and store off the shelf parts. Yeah. So it's like you have to, when you run out of those, you have to be able to know how long it's going to take to make them and then get them on a machine and make them otherwise you're running out and before we were just every day we'd run out of something new we'd try to get it on the machines asap we'd finish that part and then we'd run out of something else um so that's been a huge struggle at one point we had over 350 machines on order and we had like a 16 week lead time holy yeah so right now i think we have like under 20 machines on order and like realistically probably like a one week lead time yeah that's incredible though yeah. But our one of our long-term goals has always been for us, just like what makes us happy is we want to create a company. There's a lot of things that we want to do, but one of the things that like really satisfy our soul is we want to create a company and processes within that, that we could continually be designing new, exciting things. And they're just effortlessly working their way through prototyping, testing into production then into assembly and then into shipping. Mm -hmm. So like if we can perfect that system, we can make whatever we want or whatever we see that the industry or, you know, the average dude working what he needs, like that's our way to do the most or help the most. Yeah, that's what we get excited about is like the new stuff. And even though we haven't put it down in writing an official mission statement, we've kind of danced around it. And some of the elements we know about what we want is like, we're not trying to design tools for, big corporations like where we used to work there's plenty of really high-end expensive tools that those people can buy and they have all the capabilities they want access to the thing that gets us excited is like bringing like a capability to a smaller shop that they wouldn't have had before because we were able to do something clever that made it accessible to them so um the new stuff we've got in the works is expanding on that with kind of the idea we had a long conversation driving through Tennessee on one of our shows about this. We kind of touched on in this conversation earlier was a lot of confidence, you know, Ameribraid, a part of that is American manufacturing. You know, that's why America part of that word is in there is um, not from this like 
blind patriotism, but just from where we see a lot of value in what did you call it? This lofty goal of national security and making things here, but also just like a lot of the social problems that we see people are trying to address in such weird ways. But if you just go back to basics and like there's people able to take care of themselves and take care of their families first, then a lot of those problems go away. Mm-hmm. So um, we feel like there's so many kids that just go up through the system being told that you have to go to college and um, there's no value in making things with your hands. Like, or not that being told that explicitly, but maybe indirectly in the form of like, you're expected to have a four-year degree to be respected. Yeah. And, um, and they too, they put that in like layman's terms. I remember going to the college counselor and she's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, you have to go in there, you know, at my high school. And I was like, well, I think maybe I want to be a diesel mechanic. And she was just like, okay. Yeah, um, she yeah. was like confused. So then she pulls up this chart. She's like, well, check this out. If you graduate high school, you'll make, you know, 48,000 a year. But if you go to college, you'll make 70 grand a year. And over a lifetime, that's an extra $1.2 million. And I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. That sounds good, but I I I mean even back then I was like I'm probably not going to be able to do that. Like school's just yeah. not my thing. I know uh, I remember being going into the career counselor and I just wanted to be done high school. Like I had <laughs> I did the minimum. I I was like which is kind of funny because I teach high school now. So I'm spending <laughs> I'll spend the rest of my career in a high school. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but it's interesting because I went in there and I was like he's like, "Well, your grades aren't great." It was cuz I didn't want to be there. I'm not a math. I, now later on in life, I figured out I have a, a math learning disability and which was never back when I was in high school, like 2000 to 2003 those types of things were never even sought out. It was just like, well, you do it. This is your course. If your grades are here, you're streamed this way and that's it. There's no differentiation or, you know, like individual service plans as far as education goes. And so I was like, okay, I hate school. This sucks. Um, The only thing that I have fun in is shop class. So I'm going to be a mechanic. I watch this on TV all the time, whatever. But before I made that decision, I went in there into the counselor's office and I was, he's like, well, your grades aren't great. So you should probably just go into the trades, you know, and that's right. the exact thing. Just go into the trades. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. And, but that's now, that's the exact thing that I'm fighting against. And I think there's a big change. There's a shift. Uh, there's a huge shift coming where right now where people, you, you're not, it, you, dumbasses don't go into the trades. Does that make sense? Like you got to be smart. You got to have some sort of intelligence and it's not a dumping ground anymore. It's not people, you know, that, that there's a big shift paradigm shift happening right now where it's like, well, you, you need to have a brain to go into Mm -hmm. the trades right now. Even when in my welding courses, there's trades math I'm learning, you know, I have to do all this math, which takes me extra time to do, but I, I can tell that to my students now, like, no, you, you, it isn't just a dumping ground for idiots, right? It's, it's, yeah. you have to have a brain to do this stuff. Yeah. You're not going to be able to solve any of those problems we were talking about without some critical thinking skills. You can be a grunt employee, but that's not the trades really. That's like, yeah. that's that a labor. That's a labor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were just like lumping the two together. Yeah. 100%. Exactly. yeah. Laborers are tradesmen, but they're not like tradesmen are, so uh, and you and you look at like 
the the shortage there are for skilled trade. That's a, we're look, we're we're experiencing a uh, a drought in skills or skilled tradesmen. Okay, so then why are you why are you promoting it? Like oh, you have a two point zero GPA. You may you should probably go into the trades then because. But then they go into co- go to college or vocational after, and then they just fail because they're not smart enough. Yeah, and it didn't realize what it was going to take. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've been, you've been, you know, lied to or sold something that wasn't necessarily exactly, true. Exactly, exactly. And that was for me. You know, I was, I grew up with a childhood where I didn't necessarily feel safe or secure, so I was always scared that I wasn't going to be able to make enough for myself, and that was frustrating and scary realizing I'm not going to be able to college. They're telling me that if you want to be successful or be able to have a house or whatever, like you need a degree. And I, I knew that probably wasn't realistic for me. So it took me a long time to realize that just like, no, I I don't need a degree and I will be self-sufficient. I'll be fine. Like I'll have everything I want. I could have a crappy used boat and a truck and pay my house payment. I'll be fine. Yeah. Working on that degree, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, right. um, so as we kind of wrap up a little bit here, um, some advice for somebody who wants to get started in this industry. I mean, you've, you've we've talked about so much stuff today, and you have a ton of uh, great knowledge and experience. Um, this could be into whether maybe it's designing a tool or the fabrication industry. Um, maybe both of you, we can kind of go through our last three questions and you can answer them individually, but, uh, what advice do you have for somebody who wants to get started in this industry? Um, there's no replacement for trial and error. Like you need to just start, like if we're calling industry manufacturing, yeah, there's no replacement for doing manufacturing type projects. Like you can't really going to school is a good baseline, but like I talked about earlier, you go out into the world and realize how much you don't know until you just fail, even in small ways. Like even if the project as a whole is a success, like you will have little failures along the way and there's no replacement for those. So you have to just, it's a, like a numbers game. You have to have so many instances to come across enough situations to build off of so it's like just start making stuff like um, just do it yeah just go for it eh? (laughs) and it's hard for me like being a perfectionist you want it to come out perfect the first time oh Um, i bet yeah but if you can just get comfortable with the idea that i'm gonna go from start to finish like and i'm gonna just start again when i get to the end i'm gonna like just however it turned out move on and uh, at least that's on the design side of things, maybe not the business side of things, but that's going to make you a better uh, manufacturing minded person is just build as many things as possible. Um, I don't yeah. know. You have yeah. any ideas? Kev? I think it's funny because mine, I think it's similar is um, like, don't be scared to say and tell people like, tell people like, I have no idea how to do this. And then that like sets the ground of if you say, I don't know how to do it. If you say that out loud, like now the only option is for me to learn how to do it. Like don't be scared to learn something and don't be scared to admit that you know nothing about it. Like I used to always try to pretend I knew more than I did. And now I try to pretend I know less than I do. Uh, Just 
And it's frustrating for me because I'll hear him do that. And I'm like, <laughs> why is he acting like he doesn't know that? Like, <laughs> I know he knows more than that, but I struggle with that. It's probably a pride thing. It's just like, I want recognition for what I do know, but that just is a wall in the face of somebody feeling comfortable enough to teach you what they know is if they, if you come across, like you already know everything, but um, yeah. yeah. It's and I have like, uh, like now with the internet and like so much information out there and YouTube and all these different platforms, like I, once you realize you say like, I don't know something like I enjoy learning so much, even about stuff I didn't like learning about in high school, like finances or business stuff. Like there's so much information out there. Once you just admit that you don't know it, it's so enjoyable to learn it. So I just, I'm like learning stuff at a faster rate than I've ever learned before. And that feels really good. So don't, don't be scared. Don't be scared to learn stuff. Probably that mindset too. Excuse me. Um, You know, being in that mindset to say, you know what? Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. And I think there's a lot of that pride thing of, you know, I don't like necessarily being like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm going (laughs) to pretend. But I think you kind of nailed it saying, you know, say it and then get into the mindset of, okay, now I'm going to learn how to do it. It's not just because you don't know how to do it doesn't mean you're a failure and, you know, you're going to suck all the time. But changing that mindset of, because I'm bad for this too, if I don't want to do something. I kind of get cranky or, you know, whatever I get frustrated, but to flip that mindset and that thinking pattern into, I'm going to ch- change this into a learning opportunity where I'm going to learn how to do this. That just sets you up for success. Whether you, you know, fully gain understanding of what you're trying to do, or you just get a little bit of like, I guess, some partial understanding. Um, a lot of that stuff has to do with, I think, mindset and thinking. Um, and it's, it's so easy to just go into the, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to stop and kind of give up. But having yeah. that you know, that mindset of I'm going to take this as a learning opportunity because I don't know this, I think can go a long way with a lot of people. And even just talking, I'm like, I got to change how I think about things because yeah. <laughs> it's so easy to get down in the dumps. And, um, and you guys probably go through so many different challenges and hurdles, obstacles, where if you thought like that, oh, it's, it's going to be devastating, right? There's always things that, um, that are coming up that you might have to problem solve and you don't know, but to kind of change that thinking pattern is huge. Yeah. And yeah, yeah st- that's when things get really um, daunting. It gets fun. If you switch your mindset, like you said, now learning is fun and you're not just in the mode of banging your head against the wall in this effort to defend your pride and um, yeah. like get frustrated. You can just have fun with the process. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with YouTube too is, get ourselves back into that mindset of like, you know what, let's go learn stuff. And like, we'll, uh, teach, we'll teach people along the road while we're learning new processes and things, adding tools to our mental toolbox. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if we don't have these gaps in our knowledge, I'm sure other people have them too. So like, let's just have fun with it and break out of that mode of just surviving and getting back into the, the mindset of, growing and i think easier said than done right like trying to even last night a perfect example i put some ceiling fans in uh upstairs in our house for in each room and my daughter turned her ceiling fan on to stage 50 and it was just (laughs) rocking and um i don't have a ceiling fan (laughs) junction box i just put some legs into the stud thinking it'd be okay and it started to come loose and this fan's (laughs) kind of tilted off and it's just and i'm just losing it um and i 
got everything. It didn't fall off from the ceiling, which is good. But I got yeah. I got edgy, and I think it was because I felt like I kind of oh I screwed up, and I didn't want to. You know, it was just that okay, I give up. Something happened. I'm done. Whatever. You know, I was kind of getting a little bit attitude, but then after I calmed down a little bit, it's like okay, kind of go through of okay, how do I do this properly? And I kind of had to go back and almost apologize a bit because I, I feel bad now. You know, I got so, super upset over something that I did because I have, you know, pride in my work thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to make a mistake here. Everything's good and something happens and it's almost defeating. So to change that mindset and now I'm going to go up into the roof and properly, you know, support it and, but learning how to do it. And it's easy to get knocked down and get into the dumpster. So it's I mean, easier said than done, but I think talking about it, uh, also helps too. And having, you know, like you guys have sound like you have a great partnership, uh, to be able to, you know, pick each other up when you need to, um, sounds like it, it works for you. So yeah, that, I don't know how you get into this, change your mindset when lots of times you just go to worst case scenario or oh, am I, in me, I'm like, oh, we're going to die. This fan's going to come <laughs> off. Ching, 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 ching. Yeah, yeah. My biggest yeah. problem is why the hell didn't you take a video of that? <laughs> that's good content my head. <laughs> that's good content stealing Look fans at this loser stealing fans stuff is important i'm just kidding <laughs> that's hard too like uh i mean we talk about that like should we videotape this and it's like well what if we fail but it's like yeah if you're honest too just videotape it and that will let that will let the people on the other end be more comfortable with you mm. but also like, it's not a live feed yeah like you can yeah. you can edit you know, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to not edit all that out though, because yeah. to be vulnerable. Because a lot of times I'm like, I do not want to hear the comments of people that just, yeah, it's real easy to say you know better, but we were vulnerable enough to show you this mm-hmm. because we know everybody has these moments. But yeah. there's going to be those people in the comments that just are like, oh, you idiot, you didn't know how to put a junction box in there for your ceiling fan (laughs) exactly what you are one pathetic loser (laughs) oh so obvious to you yeah i'm sorry yeah yeah. Yeah. my bad yeah my i'll I'll come to you next time sir right super tradesman 4987 on youtube (laughs) (laughs) so what are some specific skill sets then um if someone wants to get started in, in 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 your industry um that you think are important to develop which industry (laughs) well okay we'll go let's go um manufacturing or just fabrication there's so many my mind goes to the like i said the gaps but that's just broad like sales like with the web web development and stuff like like oh man you gotta learn how to do video but that's like everything but like on the just like okay let's just say let's say um maybe starting your own business or in the manufacturing fabrication kind of area, like to do what you did to do what you do. What are, what are some skill sets that a person needs to, to develop? And it's a very broad question and you don't need to yeah. hone in on any specific industry, but just what, what do you think is important when you look to hire someone or that type of thing? I mean, I don't see anything, anybody getting around having CAD, in this industry cat experience and it'd be really tough to hire some of that stuff out early on like you have to wear that hat i don't know how you're going to be able to afford somebody starting out to do cad work like cat is so useful and it'll never go away like 
you'll be able to use it. So um, it's probably a different approach. Some people don't do that themselves as the owner doing their own CAD work, but um, if you're starting a small business and not trying to just. You're going to have to do everything when you start. Like we, there's two of us at least, but when we started, we literally did the two of us did everything. Um, so every aspect of it, you know, whether it be websites or sales or customer service or mm. trade shows or assembly or yeah. unclogging the toilet, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, if you're doing CAD work, I recommend, like we said, either use something that's industry standard so that it's useful at several companies. If you ever want to, you know, go cross platforms, Fusion yeah. 360 or SolidWorks right now are probably the most I see Fusion 360 really taking off. Um, SolidWorks is probably still more prevalent, but Fusion is just so affordable and getting more powerful all the time that it's a good one to learn. Yeah. I would say, too, maybe a little bit more like on the business side, but um, like manager skill sets, um, learning how to manage people, learning how to um, pick up what they're good at and use them to their fullest potential um, and not not just getting frustrated because they can't do something or they're not giving the results because then you'll just go through people a lot. But like doing that manager thing was uh, tricky. Even like I remember our first employee, like asking him to do something was a little bit new to me. Like, hey, can you go do this? Like I almost like didn't want to ask him to do it. I'm very non-confrontational, but um being a manager is a, a big skill set if you're going to try to do anything other than a one man type shop type show. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you develop that though, other than just doing it. Like, I don't know if you can develop it ahead of time. I don't try. I think error. so. Maybe just like be conscious of it perhaps. Yeah. Like yeah. there's probably stuff you could read on it, but I do a hundred percent agree with Eric. Like that's just going to take real world experience of doing it. Um, but you might be able to get a few little shortcuts of maybe by reading or just being conscious of stuff. I wish I had researched more what we were talking about early on and put more effort into the organization of running a manufacturing business. Like we said, inventory management, stock, you know, stock control, that sort of thing. Um, we've developed our own version of lean manufacturing. Um, and that's the other, one thing I would advice I would give too is not to use everything like by the book be don't be afraid to adjust a system to suit your needs oh that's cool yeah um there are so many things we'd ask a question like oh how do we do inventory management and everybody's default answer would be like oh buy this software and put barcodes on everything get a scanner and it's like you realize i'm working on my home shop and we have like no budget for that that's like a hundred thousand dollar software that's not an answer that's realistic for us or we don't have the manpower to even maintain that system even if we could afford it like that takes a full-time person just to like keep that system up to date and i'm sure at some scale that makes sense but um there's no replacement for knowing your own situation and ignoring advice from people who don't really know your situation as good as you do like um, you have to listen to advice. You have to be talking to people, but you have to be comfortable enough to sift through the things that aren't applicable um, and only apply the things that work. Or adapt them to what you need to use in yeah. your um, circumstances too, right? Right. Um, 
because there are things that work now at the scale we're at that wouldn't have worked a year ago. Um, and, but knowing uh, just about those different systems, you have to still get that knowledge in your head so that you have something to adapt. It's no excuse for ignorance. Like you still have to educate yourself about the f different systems that are out there. So yeah. um, looking up lean manufacturing, there's a lot of information on that. Um, and everybody does it their own way. Um, but that's been the thing that's helped us the most in the last couple of years is finally implementing some form of lean manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So um, last question here, besides the Ameribraid products, uh, <laughs> top three starting out tools as a fabricator. Hmm. Sorry, say that one more time. The top three what tools? Starting out tools. Starting out tools. Yeah. And I always tell people, like, that's easy. I wouldn't even say start out with an Ameribrade if you've never done anything. Like, that's too big of a jump. It's like, um, not that I don't think it would be useful, but you've just used up your budget. Like, probably if you're starting out, I remember what it was like starting out. You can't use all your money on one tool as one, useful as it is. One concept me and Eric, I feel like we discovered that we really like, not to get too far off topic here real quick, is people say like, oh, and we realized a lot of our competitors like, oh, this is the best, like this is the best welder. And you're like, yeah, you know, that $10,000 Miller welder is a nice welder, but is that the best welder for someone who has a hundred dollars and wants to learn a skill? No, that's not yeah. the best welder. Like yeah. whatever welder they could get for free or in Craigslist or something for a hundred dollars is the best welder. Yeah. So, um, and I, I, that's a concept we learned is like best is situational. So like, don't listen to people when they say this is the best, like our machines do a lot and it's the best for some people, but it's not the best depending on your situation. Um, so I wanted to throw that out there real quick. No, that's I a like good point. Yeah. So I think if you're starting out the three, that's going to, you're going to be able to do the most with obviously an angle grinder, I think. Yeah. It's probably going to be pretty useful in an angle grinder. Um, you're for sure going to need a welder. Yeah. You got to get a welder. So what kind of welder? Uh, multiprocessor or you go to, I guess no. if you're starting out, no, <laughs> I mean, if you can, uh, I'd say definitely some sort of, I would probably put as much money as I could towards a decent MIG welder. Yeah. Like as, as cool as TIG is like, if you're starting out, MIG is going to be more like universal for somebody just getting yeah. started. Mm -hmm. So the best MIG welder you can afford is never like no money you put towards the MIG welder is going to be bad money spent. So the best MIG welder you can afford, you can think of angle grinders as almost consumable. So yeah. you don't need to spend a ton of money on an angle grinder, but spend the most money you can on a good MIG welder. Cause I think Kevin still got the welder that his dad bought him. The welder that my dad bought me, we are using as our laser shop right now to wow. still make money. That's like, wicked. yeah, I'm, you know, that one gift that my dad got me is still enabling us to make money. Like tools are incredibly valuable. Yeah. Honestly, yes, are. That, yeah. That thing has had several, several large spools of wire put through it. <laughs> you wouldn't even be able to calculate like how much money that $1,000 welder has made. It's funny. And That's then, good. all right. So angle grinder welder and need to be able to drill holes. Drill. drill a drill yeah do you think it would you get a hand drill or a drill press i don't know what about like a chop saw <laughs> oh, you got oh. the angle grinder you can cut stuff yeah 
It depends what you're trying to get into. If you're trying, if you're doing a lot of cutting, that'd be annoying. Like, uh, like if you're trying to get into making ca- like roll cages or something. Yeah, you'd want a chop saw. Then, like, you don't wanna... really need to drill. Yeah, but if you're just like doing general metal fab, you're gonna need yeah. to drill. That's gonna be right. true. Well, now we can look at it too. Of what are you gonna be able to make money with the first three tools to buy something later? Yeah, it's like, oh, what's gonna make you go. money the fastest? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Top four, ladies and gentlemen. Top four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, awesome. I'm sticking with drill press, cheap, cheap drill press, cheap uh, angle grinder, and the best mega welder you can afford. Yeah, it's going to be hard to beat because with you know, depending on exactly what you do in that, you could start making money, and then you could buy that chop saw real quick, mm-hmm. or vice versa. You can get a chop saw and then get the drill press later. Mm-hmm. So, um, you're starting out learning. Yeah, those it's like too if you're starting out learning anything anything you can do to learn any tool you can start getting perfect with like i'm really good at big welding i'm pretty good at tig welding but i also guarantee i'm one of the best angle grinder users you've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> so it's like if you can match that tool like i've literally used flapper discs to like surface parts and welds and i've had guys like how'd you do that and i'm like with this and they, they just did not believe me yeah. so it's like if you can master a $20 tool, that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Okay. We could keep, I know it's been, we're coming up on two hours. Oh, we, wow. We could keep going, but uh, I just want to like, we'll say some for next time. There's so yes. many, there's so many things uh, that we could, we could talk about, but yeah, as we kind of wrap this up, I just want to say thank you to both of you, Kevin and Eric for, um, for taking some time out of your busy schedules to, Spend time with us to tell the Ameribrade story, to tell your individual stories, and to kind of hopefully inspire our listeners to kind of get out there and just start building something to try something new. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate you uh, giving us a chance to tell those stories. Uh, don't get an opportunity very often. Kind of fumbled through it because we usually have to give such short versions. But our very first listening. podcast. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we're, yeah, we're really, honored. We're honored that you that you you know chose us to to be the very first podcast you came on and and I think I can speak for the the two of us and hopefully our listeners that you guys can come back anytime. There's an open right. door and uh, if you if you want if there's something going on uh, that you want to talk about specifically, 100%, we're there. Uh, so as we kind of round this episode out, um, where can people find you and is there anything that you'd like to promote that you have going on right now? Now's the time. Yeah. So um, on Instagram, we are um, just the company name, Ameribraid. So uh, that's where we post the most daily. Uh, We're now posting almost once a week on YouTube. Um, That's Ameribraid underscore official. Um, And then those are our main platforms. We are really bad at using Facebook. Yeah. Um, That business suite is so convoluted. I feel like such a... Maybe I don't feel like a boomer. Maybe it's made for boomers, and that's why I'm... <laughs> yeah, we'll go, go with that. Go with that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, those are our two main platforms, Instagram and YouTube. And then uh, our website is ameribraid.com. You can shoot us an email through there if you got any questions, and we got a phone number there, too, if you want to give us a call. So, Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again, you guys, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, like I said, open door. You can come on anytime. Fantastic. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Had an amazing time. And thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks, Hoff. Thanks, Rosie. And we'll see everyone in the next one.